I'm one of the pastors here at the Church Came Bay, and this morning we are continuing our uh, walk through the book of 1 Timothy. If you've been here the last few weeks, you know that we started uh, back several weeks ago walking through the book of 1 Timothy. One of the things that we said was it was going to take us the larger part of the year to get through 1st and then 2nd Timothy. And one of the reasons that we preach this way, verse by verse, line by line, uh, one of the interesting things that happens when we preach this way is that it does not allow us to bypass or skip over uh, verses in God's word that might be uncomfortable, uh, that might be controversial, that might just really be awkward. And so we want to faithfully proclaim God's word, and we want to faithfully proclaim every word of God's word as God's word, and that's why we preach this way. And so this morning, we have arrived at one of those controversial, uncomfortable, awkward passages. And as I was like watching this morning, there's a stream, a steady stream of like new faces that are in the room this morning. And I was just like, oh, this this is going to be uncomfortable. Like you're going to walk in and be like, this is our first time at Cane Bay. And is this what they talk about all the time every week? Um, No, but we want to be again, faithful to proclaim God's word as God's word, even if it might make us uncomfortable. And so last week we talked about 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. So if you have your Bibles, turn there, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8 through 11. It's going to be on the screen behind me. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you a Bible. That's our gift to you if you'll just stop by the connection table on your way out. We hope that you will follow along and engage with God's word this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 8, Pastor Charlie preached through this last week. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Now, last week we preached this same passage, and I was sitting in the back of the room, And Pastor Charlie did an incredible job of walking through this passage, showing us how the law points us to Jesus. And I was sitting in the back of the room, and I knew what passage we were preaching. And when we got to the part where he says, and men who practice homosexuality, I could feel the tension in the room build. Like, it was palpable. Like, people were kind of like, they're they're not going to, like, are they going to talk about this? Like, are we going to have this discussion? And then we didn't talk about it last week. And for some folks, it was a little bit of relief walking out of here going, wow, I'm glad they didn't address that. But for others, it was like, why didn't we address that? Are they afraid to address that? And the answer is no, because we knew that this morning we would be addressing the topic of the gospel and homosexuality and how God's word impresses upon a very, very controversial topic between the church and the greater culture. So we're going to talk this morning about the gospel and homosexuality. And Charlie and Joel are going to join me on the stage in just a couple minutes. But before we do that, let me, let me just say a couple of words, a couple of maybe not, just some things that I want you to remember as we walk through this. Um, first, I want you to remember this. Um, one of the reasons that we hesitated and really talked about doing this, we need to set aside an entire morning where we talk about this, um, is, is for this fear. I don't want you to think that our discussing homosexuality specifically this morning elevates that sin above any other sin. 
So what we're not doing this morning is saying this is the worst sin that you can commit. And I don't want you to walk out of here thinking that homosexuality is, is any different than, than anything else that we struggle with or fight with or combat against in our pursuit of righteousness. But the Bible addresses it and we have to address it. And let's be honest. The, the church needs to be a place where this can be addressed openly and honestly. And it hasn't been in the past. Even in our larger culture, the, the, this issue of homosexuality is not addressed um, honestly or openly. If, if you watch it addressed on the news, uh, you, every now and then they'll put a couple guys on the news and they usually go find like the craziest right-wing conservative to kind of stand on the panel against several other more progressive types, and they just do everything they can to paint this guy as a backwoods clown, that he would believe that homosexuality is a sin, that he would stand on God's word. But we need to be able to have an honest, open discussion about this, and the Bible speaks to this specifically, and we have to be able to speak to it specifically as well. So we can't avoid it. We can't just push it aside because it might make some of us uncomfortable. But I hope that this morning you would recognize that we're not doing this to elevate it as something that it isn't. Secondly, I want you to recognize that the aim of our charge is love. Joel preached about this two weeks ago. The aim of our charge is love issued from a pure heart, good conscience, and a sincere faith. Our hope this morning is, is, is that we would speak God's truth in love. Um, the Bible calls itself a sword. It refers to itself as a sword that pierces to the heart of men. And that God's word pierces to the deepest parts of who we are. And I love that description of God's word, that it, that it pierces deep into our hearts, into our souls, into the very nature of who we are. And we want to treat the, God's word, we want to treat the Bible that way. What we don't want to do is treat the Bible as a club to bash people over the head with. And so if you leave this morning going, I knew I was right. Let me find somebody who struggles with this and give them line by line by line how this is sinful. You've missed the point entirely. Our hope this morning is not to give you more ammo so that you might be right, but our hope this morning is that as we speak the truth in love, you might be a more loving neighbor. Third, we need to remember that this is not a political or social issue. It has been made a political issue. It has been made a social issue, but primarily, this is about people. Real people who Jesus loves who God created in his image, and who God desires reconciliation with. So before we just throw this around as some sort of ethereal idea, we need to remember that this affects real people. And as the church, our concern should be much more for people than for politics. Fourth, um, this is a broad subject with a lot of complex moving parts. And there are a lot of questions that we will not answer this morning, that we just do not have time to answer. And so my hope is that you will not leave here thinking that everything, um, that every question is gonna be answered this morning. What we wanna do is address it in a, in a general way 
and address it in the way that we feel is faithful to the scriptures, but understand that the discussion is not over here. And that if you have further questions or you'd like to have a longer discussion about this, we would love to do that. At the very end, we're going to show you the way that you can get in touch with one of the pastors here, and we'd love to have a further discussion with you about this. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to jump in, and then we're going to talk this morning um, about a topic that I know already is uncomfortable for some of you, but I hope that as we press into God's word, we might see the truth in love. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you, and God, I pray already this morning that your presence would be in this place. Um, God, that we would be faithful to your word. God, that this would not be the opinions of man or the thoughts of man or something that we've conjured up on our own, God, but that we would be faithful messengers of the things that you've said in your word. And God, not only that, but I pray that we would just have a real sense of your love and of grace and of mercy. Father, that we would not walk out of this place puffed up in pride, but Father, we would walk out of this place humbled by your grace and looking for ways to extend that to others. Give us open ears, give us open eyes, give us open minds. Show us the places in our heart where we have not submitted to your law and your good word. We love you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, before we go anywhere, we need to kind of build a little bit of a theological construct for this idea. In Genesis chapter 1, it says that God creates everything. And he creates everything with a purpose and a good design. You can actually look back at the creation, the order of creation, and see how all of these things begin to fit together. And as God creates everything, he looks at everything that he's created and he says, it is good. And at the end, on day six, he creates man. And he looks at man and he says, he has created man in his image. And when he sees man, he says, it is very good because man is created different than all of the rest of creation because he bears the image of God. Now, in Genesis chapter 2, it, sees that, it says that God sees the man working in the garden, and he says that it is not good for man to be alone. And so God sets out to create a partner for the man, and he creates woman. And God ordains this male-female relationship. He gives the woman to the man. And he says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And the first marriage that we see in all of scriptures is the marriage of the first man and the first woman. And God ordains it and God gives it his blessing and says that it is good. This is the way that I've intended for things to be. This is the natural good purpose of God for man and woman. In Genesis chapter 3, it says that the man and the woman sin, that God is holy, just, good, righteous. He is the authority. And it says that in Genesis chapter 3, the man and woman subvert the authority of God and they sin against God. And when they sin against God, it disconnects them from their relationship with God. It builds a disconnection between their relationship to one another and their relationship to all of creation. And the curse of sin still bears with us today. Paul will say later in Romans that just as one man sinned, Adam, so sin spread to all of the generations that come after him, and that leads to you and I, which means that sin now hangs over everything that we are and everything that we do. We are born into sinfulness. We are born as rebels against 
the cause and word and good design of God. We feel that. We know that. We sense that. And it starts at a very early age. I have a, I have a son who's one, um, and, and we're just starting to really see this work out in him. Um, like my, at no point in time uh, has my wife ever taken something from me. Like I, she's never taken something from me, and then I've thrown myself on the floor and said, no, never. But if I take something from my son, that's what he does, right? I didn't have to teach him that. That wasn't modeled for him. He was born into sinfulness. He was born selfish, and they just hide that behind cuteness. But every one of us are born into sin. And what sin does is it deceives us into believing things that are not true about God. And it deceives us into believing things that are not true. Um, If you've ever operated a compass, I know nobody uses a compass anymore because we have phones that have GPS. But if you've ever operated a compass, uh, you know that the way that a compass works is it uh, is connected to Earth's magnetic field. And so you can use a compass, and the compass will read Earth's magnetic field, and it will point you in the right direction. But if you were to take a stronger magnetic force, a magnet, some of you guys have done this in, in school and science class. If you take a stronger magnetic force and you hold it up to the compass, the compass then veers to that new magnetic force. And so it throws off the objectiveness of the compass. You and I were built with a moral compass. In Genesis chapter 1, we were made in the image of God with a moral compass to know what God said was good and right and natural. And when sin comes in, it is a stronger force on our moral compass. And what it does is it begins to twist it so that we think this direction is north when this direction is. And so we begin to walk in error thinking that we are right and true and good. And so what we need then is some sort of objective material. We need a starting point. We need something to tell us what is right and good because if we don't have an objective starting point, we will wander off in error for all the days of our life. And the Bible says that we have that objective starting point. Romans chapter 1. It's going to be on the screen behind me. In Romans chapter 1, Paul writes this. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So what Paul tells us in Romans is that we have an objective starting point. We have something that tells us what is right and which way is north. And that God has done this in two ways. One, he's done it through what we call general revelation. He's done it in creation. That we can walk out tonight and we can see the, the moon and the stars in the heavens. And we can look to the heavens and go, somebody had to have done this. Or we can study the human body and start to see how if anything is off, even at all, things don't function the way that they should. And we go, somebody had to have done this. 
The second way that God has chosen to reveal himself to us is through special revelation. He has done that through his inspired word. And he has done it perfectly through his son, Jesus, of whom his word testifies to us. But Romans 1 says that in our sin, in our unrighteousness, in our erring off on our own, we have suppressed the truth about God, choosing instead to follow our own path, to say, God, your word means nothing to me. And in our sinfulness, we have pursued things that God did not design as good and natural and right and true. And the only hope that we ever have for course correcting is that if someone removes sin from our lives and our hearts. And that's what the gospel does. That's what the Bible is, that's why the Bible is so important because it tells us that Jesus can remove the sin from our lives and that he can course correct so that we might know God's good purpose for our lives. And so how does this bear on the topic of homosexuality? Well, it bears this way. The Bible has much to say about homosexuality. And regardless of how we feel, regardless of how we think this should go, if we are holding the Bible as our objective source of truth, that it course corrects and shows us what is right and good and what God has designed for our good and for his glory, then we will submit to the scriptures even when it's uncomfortable for us to do so. And even when it's not popular for us to do so. And even when it is difficult for us to do so. Scripture speaks very openly about the sin of homosexuality. In the Old Testament specifically, it speaks very harshly about the sin of homosexuality. In Leviticus chapter 20, it says that if a man lies with another man as with a woman, the two shall be put to death. One of the reasons that Sodom and Gomorrah came under the wrath of God was because they were openly practicing and celebrating homosexuality. Now, some of you would look at that and go, well, that's the Old Testament. We're not under the Old Testament anymore. Jesus came, he fulfilled the law. There's also laws in the Old Testament about not wearing uh, a garment of two different cloths. Does that mean that everybody that's in here is wearing a cotton polyester mix is going to hell? Is that how we read the law? And I would concede that point to you and say, you know what? That's actually a very good point. And if the only place in the Bible that, was, that homosexuality was addressed was in the Old Testament law, I would say it's pretty difficult for us to figure out what exactly that means. But that's not the only place. In fact, it's addressed specifically in the New Testament several times. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, Paul says that there is a list of people who will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he says one of those people are men who practice homosexuality. And we just read in 1 Timothy chapter 1 that he says the law is laid down and one of the people that is laid down for is those who would practice homosexuality. Now the argument goes, well, um, the actual text, what Paul is saying is for those who are in abusive homosexual relationships. That's not the Greek rendering. And so what do we do with that? What do we do with that when our culture says you're, you're, you're not progressive? You're not sensitive? What about all the things that Jesus preaches about love? How can you preach about love and then say that someone who loves another person of the same sex is in sin? And that's the tension that we wrestle with. What do we do when the Bible, God's objective source of truth, 
presses into areas in our culture that are uncomfortable and difficult. So what I hope to do this morning, what we hope to do, and I'm going to ask Charlie and Joel to come on to the stage. What we hope to do this morning is have a discussion, an honest, faithful discussion that kind of rectifies some of this tension. What do we do about what the Bible says about homosexuality? And then how will we individually, corporately, as a church, respond to our culture, to our neighbors, to our family, to our friends? Because listen, again, it's about real people. Like we get that, we see that, we understand that. And so what we want to do this morning is be faithful and hopefully full of grace and truth, unpack a little bit of why things are the way that they are. So guys, thanks for coming up and not leaving me on an island up here. So we'll it's start. Good. It's um, good to be here. I'm glad we all wore plaid shirts. For this. I know. I know. <laughs> you want to know how you identify a church cool. planner? This is how. They wear plaid we're, and they have facial hair. We're so one, <laughs> anywhere we're that, one member short of like a 90s grunge band. We today. really are. If I had holes in my jeans. <laughs> They reunited Nirvana this morning. That was awesome. Way to go. We're awesome. So, guys, I'm glad that that we can have this discussion. And so I guess it's important, the first thing as we kind of talk about this, and I've just unpacked a lot of Scripture in a very short amount of time. Um, But I think it's important probably to go back to even why it's important for the church, why it's important for us to even have this discussion in the first place. Um, so, Joel, what, what are your thoughts on why it's important for the church to have this discussion? Sure, sure. Um, David, you mentioned kind of a, a little bit about how this is something that's kind of waging, like, uh, in the culture around us. And I, I think all of us, if you turn on a television, if you read anything on the Internet, um, you can see that this is something that is, uh, culture is dealing with hugely right now. And, and we can't just, as the church, avoid it or pretend like it's not there. Um, especially because I really believe culture is coming to the church now and asking us, where do you stand on this issue? What do you believe about this? How are you going to respond to people who are, are struggling with this and are dealing with things? And so I don't feel like that it's something that we as a church, which I feel like for a long time, the church has just kind of like sat back and decided to kind of be quiet about it and hope that it would go away. But I don't think that we can do that anymore. I think that uh, we have to respond to it. And so in that, it's important that we have the right response um, to it. And I, I think that, sadly, at least what is shown in the media, on our TVs, is that, uh, is that the church is getting this wrong. And I, I think the visible picture of the church's response to this is wrong. And I think we see it in two different ways. David mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about 1 Timothy 1.5. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. And so we've talked about there how it's so important that we have a foundation of truth that we can stand on, but that the way that that works out in our lives is to be love. And uh, Paul talks about in Romans 13, he says, Oh, no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. And so we see these, these two different sides where over here we have the law, we have what the Bible says, and then over here we have this issue of love. Now, culturally, I think what 
when people who are outside of the church look in on the church and they see the church responding to this issue, they either see them all the way over here on law or they see them all the way over here on love. And both of those are wrong. Both of those are incorrect responses. So on one hand, we have the law, and the law is foundational for us. Uh, Charlie talked about uh, last week how it is, it is what we build our foundation on. It restrains us. It clarifies things for us in life. And ultimately, as believers, it, it sanctifies us. And so uh, when we, but when we come to the issue of homosexuality, many Christians are, are all the way over here. And so they speak the truth from God's word that says, yes, homosexuality is sin, but they do that without having any love whatsoever over here. And so they're not willing to walk with someone who's going through this and struggling through this. Um, They speak God's truth from this high ground, just kind of like yelling it down at people and not willing to come down to where people are and be there for them and love them as they walk through this struggle. And as you talked about a minute ago, it's like they're using scripture as a club, just beating people in the face, telling them that they're wrong, they're wrong, they're wrong. They believe, for whatever reason, that that sin, the sin of homosexuality, is greater than any sin that's in their life that they're struggling with. And truthfully, it's not. We're all on a level playing field of needing the grace of God because we're all sinners. And so then on the other side, um, we see the church um, sometimes is responding uh, just in this idea of love. And there's no basis of truth that they're standing on. Um, but because they want culture to look back at them and smile and say, yes, what you guys are doing is right. We really appreciate it. They've kind of erased truth from the picture and just stand on this kind of false emotion that they've created that's lovey-dovey and it's all warm and fuzzy, but it's not real love. It's a fake emotion that just wants people to accept them rather than them accepting people. And so when we find ourselves as a church on either one of those sides, we're missing where we need to be. And that's right in the middle. We're missing the point of the fact that we have got to stand with truth on the truth of God's word, but yet live it out in a way that's loving, that's willing to invest our lives into people who are struggling with this issue and saying, you know what? You're struggling with this. I'm struggling with something else. How can we walk through this together, care for each other, encourage each other, and move towards being more like Jesus in the way that we live and the, and the things that we do? And I think that Jesus models this really well. If you read in uh, John 1, 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace, full of truth. Jesus was totally full of truth, but at the same time, as we see it throughout the New Testament, Jesus responds with grace and Jesus responds with love to sinners. And that is exactly how we, I believe, need to respond to this. And it's why it's so important that we find that right ground, because when culture comes to us and says, what do you believe? We want to make sure that we are standing on the truth of God's word, but that we are loving people and walking with them. Yeah. I think part of finding that middle ground um, part of navigating those waters of, of, of truth and grace and, and mixing those two in love, um, part of that is going to be defining what we mean, you know, being really clear, uh, having really clear definitions, um, because a lot of this is, is, a, is a gray 
area where it's, there's, you know, things that aren't really well defined on either side. So my question then would be, how would we, or, or, or what do we mean when we say the sin of homosexuality? Because I think we really need to define what we mean when we say homosexuality, sin of homosexuality. So Charlie, maybe you can give us a little bit of insight on how to define it. Yeah, uh, it's a really uh, kind of touchy subject, but, but we're, we're talking about, um, at, the, at the very most basic level, I mean, we're talking about any type of sexual activity with the same sex. Uh, that would be the practice of, of homosexuality. But however, I think it's a little bit deeper than that for us to kind of understand the, understand the mindset. Um, and so we have to distinguish between homosexual sin and same-sex attraction. Mm-hmm. And I want to make a distinction between those two things. Um, people who are in homosexual sin do two things that I think are very, very clear. The first is justification, meaning that they, um, you've considered the facts of what the Bible says. Uh, you've considered the facts of what the church is saying, what God has said about homosexual behavior. And you have said, I don't believe that, or I, don't, I think that you're wrong. And so therefore you have justified in your own heart that your actions, homosexual actions, are correct, and so you've justified that sin. So there's justification. Of course, that justification um, leads to the second thing, which is celebration. So you justified your sin, and then you've celebrated your sin, meaning that you're outwardly telling other people that you are justified in your action, um, but but then you're also celebrating it in front of the world, saying, God is okay with this, the church is okay with this, the Bible is okay with this, which is not true. And so there's justification and then there's celebration, which leads to uh, the practice of, of homosexuality. Now, um, now same-sex attraction is very different. Same-sex attraction are people who struggle with being attracted to the same sex, but realize what the Bible says is right, realize what the church is saying is correct, and they have this cross to bear. And, um, and so they are tempted in numerous ways with a, an attraction to the same sex, but they realize that it's wrong. They don't justify it. They don't celebrate it, but they still struggle with it. Temptation in itself is not sinful. Now we, we need to make a distinction in that. Um, temptation is not sin. Jesus himself, who the Bible says very clearly, was not sinful, never sinned, but was tempted in every way that we are. Jesus was completely holy and pure, yet was tempted. So it's very possible for someone to struggle with same-sex attraction and be tempted by it, but never act on it, and so therefore is not homosexual or is not struggling with homosexual sin. In the same way that I, I, I'm a heterosexual, and so I struggle with heterosexual sin. And so um, in the same way that if I was tempted to um, commit adultery on my wife, which would be a significant sin. If I'm tempted to do that, but I say, no, the Bible says that's wrong, so I'm not going to do that based upon my conviction, I'm not sinning. I'm just being tempted to sin. And those are two very, very different things. And so we want to make a distinction and kind of lay that foundation and say, listen, homosexual sin and same-sex attraction are very different from one another. Yeah. Well, I, I really, I mean, personally, I, I feel that one of the failures of the church in the last decade or so to address the issue of homosexuality is, is, is that, is not really defining what they mean and when they, they say. And they just put those two things together. And I think it's led to a lot of 
folks in our church who are believers that really wrestle with a lot of shame and a lot of guilt and a lot of, I, I, I don't want, I know what the Bible says, but I'm still wrestling here. And so I'm not naive to think that in a room this large, um, that there are probably people in this room who are believers who say, yeah, you know what? I believe what God has said in his word and I believe uh, what the Bible has to say about these things, but this is a real temptation for me. And so what do you say to somebody in our church in this room who struggles with same-sex attraction? Yeah. I think that for so long, because we've tied those two things together, um, we have just avoided it and we've stayed away from it. And, and what that's done is it, it's caused people to feel isolated. It's caused people to feel lonely. It's caused people to feel like they don't have a community of people who love them and care for them and want to walk with them. And so, um, so if, if you are here this morning or if you know someone who, who's walking through this and struggling with, with same-sex attraction as this idea of, of temptation and, and wanting to walk with the Lord and wanting to be obedient with Him but not really knowing what to do, I, I think there's a few things, three things that, that I can mention that hopefully will be really helpful um, to you. Number one is the fact that as a believer... Um, if you are in Christ, then you are a new creation. God has made you new. You are not who you were anymore, but instead you have been made to be like Jesus. And so I think what we do a lot of times is we look at people struggling with sin and being tempted by sin, and we tend to go ahead and lump them into uh, that kind of sin. But the fact is that if you're a believer, you aren't defined by that anymore. That's not the thing that defines you as who you are. Instead, you are defined by your Savior. You're defined by the one who has made you new and has redeemed you. And so what we've done in a lot of cases is that we've kind of divided ourselves with these issues of, of sexuality. And, and inside, as we're, as we're dealing with this, I think that sometimes... Um, it's easy for us to say, well, you know what? I'm struggling with this. And, and sometimes it's easier just to give in because we feel like culture is telling us that that's the thing to do or that's the right response in this situation. Um, but because you were made new, your sin isn't to rule over you. You don't have your sin as your Lord anymore. You have a new Lord, and your new Lord is Jesus. And so as you're able to focus on him rather than um, that sin then the one who began a good work in you is going to be faithful to complete it. He's going to be faithful to make you more and more like him day in and day out. So don't lose hope. Remember who you are. Secondly, I think um, Christ is not just our Savior in our sin, but he's also our Savior in our temptation. And so if you're struggling internally with same-sex attraction and you feel daily this battle going on in your heart and in your life, I want you to know that that is not a bad thing. That's a good thing. The fact that you feel a war and the fact that you feel a struggle and a battle going on inside of your heart doesn't mean that you're gay. It means that you have been made new by Jesus. That is the Holy Spirit working in your heart. God is working in your life to make you more and more like Jesus. And it's a struggle, yes. And we feel your pain in that because we all struggle with sin daily. But Christ makes us new. Christ sanctifies us. He works in our heart. The fact that you are struggling and are battling means that you've been made new. So hold on to that as hope and not as something to lose hope in. The war that battles inside of you is something to hold on to and know that Christ is working to make you new. Um, 
God promises us. We see in 1 Corinthians 10, no temptation has overtaken you that's common, not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God has promised you that. Hold tight to that. Do what you can to follow Christ. Lastly, uh, and kind of more importantly for the context of us, is the fact that uh, we need to take advantage of the community that God's given us. And I feel like for so long, this has been something, this, the struggle is something that's isolated people when really it should be something that's bringing us together. And so if you're struggling with same-sex attraction, know that you're sitting in a room this morning and you may feel like you're alone, you may feel like you're isolated, that nobody else is struggling with this. But the truth is, is that you're sitting next to a person who is struggling with sin. You're surrounded by a community of people who are struggling with sin. And it's so important that rather than isolating us, that we engage with each other, that we go to each other and we confess our struggles and we say, how can you help me? Can you encourage me? And that we are willing to hold on to people, to love people, to walk with people, to struggle with people so that we can be the body of Christ. It's what the body of Christ is, that as we're struggling through life, we come together and we carry each other. We walk with each other. And so know that today, if you're here and you're struggling with that, you're not alone. You're in a community of people who love you, who are struggling just the way that you are. And God has called us to be together, to walk together. And that's what we need to do. Yeah, Yeah, I think that's good. I think those are good words, Joel, and and good advice. And I think as we seek to define um, the celebration, justification, practice of of homosexuality and then same-sex attraction, I think that's such a such a valuable distinction to make. And I, and I think it should be so encouraging. Like you said, it's, it should be an encouragement to, to believers and not a, um, not a place of, of desperation. And that there should be a community of believers around that person that are willing to um, walk with that person, um, not through judgment, but through love and, and grace. And, but I think one of the, the questions that arises then, probably the most difficult question that arises from drawing this distinction um, is, is this question that probably a lot of people are thinking right now and is a question that has been posed in our culture and is a question that's been posed in our churches. Um, can someone actively uh, celebrate and practice homosexuality and still be a Christian? Yeah, uh, so that one falls on me. Um, thanks. Thanks, guys. Um, can you actively practice homosexuality and still be a Christian? Can you be a gay Christian? Is that possible? Um, and, you know, with our context of making sure that we understand homosexual sin and, uh, and same-sex attraction, we have to kind of have that in the back of our mind. Let me first say this at the most basic level. There is no prerequisite at all for anyone undergoing any type of circumstances, sin, or anything. There is no prerequisite to coming to Christ. Absolutely not. And that's foundational to our faith. We do not ask people uh, when, we, when we are telling them the gospel and preaching the gospel, we do not say, you know, you can come to Christ, and then, but wait a minute, we have a couple questions for you. Are you gay? Um, because if you are, you need to deal with that. That's not the case. Um, and, and here's the reason why. The, the Bible says that anyone who claims Christ will be saved. 
And then we allow, and what happens is, is the Spirit of God, we believe the Spirit of God comes into someone and then begins the restoration and redemption process. And, and so um, he does the, there is no get yourself cleaned up and then become a Christian. That's not how it works. So regardless, we can say this outside of the homosexual conversation, um, anybody who has an issue, a past, a problem, who is wondering, can I become a Christian with my past history? The answer is yes. And then we'll deal with all of the other things after you've crossed that line of faith. And so there is no prerequisite to finding and receiving the redemption of Christ. Secondly, let me say this. Of course, if you are struggling with same-sex attraction and you understand that it's wrong, um, and you understand giving in to that same-sex attraction is wrong, can you still be a Christian? Absolutely. These three guys up here sin all the time, and we struggle with sin all the time. Does that bar us from living our Christian lives? No, it doesn't. It makes us get on our knees and pray all the time uh, for redemption, but, but it, does, it does not bar us from, uh, from a, walking with Christ. The hardest question is, what do we do with someone who claims to be a Christian, but also celebrates their homosexuality and celebrates a justification of homosexual sin? That's where it becomes very difficult. Um, Righteousness of God, the holiness of God, and the love of sin are incompatible with one another at least amongst the three of us, the way that we understand and interpret the scripture, you cannot pursue righteousness and pursue sin at the same time. Those two things don't work. They don't combine. They can't, in at least our understanding of it, they cannot come together. And so we have to understand first that, but but let me say this. It says very clearly in the scripture, Matthew 7, that we are not to judge someone's heart, meaning that we're not supposed to judge someone's salvation. It is impossible for anybody up here or in this room to judge whether someone is truly a Christian or truly going to heaven and truly having a relationship with Jesus. That's not our, we can't do that. And so ultimately, can we say, can you, know, can you be gay and be a Christian at the same time? There's no way for us to definitively and ultimately say that that's an impossibility. Maybe God has that worked out. I don't know. But for us, we see it as incompatible. Um, however, the Bible does say that we should judge one another's actions. We don't judge one another's hearts. We do judge one another's actions. And so that's a little bit about what we're doing today. We're, we're saying what the truth of the Bible is. And we're saying these actions are incorrect. And so that's what we're talking about. But it is not our job to judge people's, uh, people's hearts. Um, and so... Kind of where we're at right now is a little bit of, ultimately, we can't say, um, but for us, we would say it's incompatible. I hope that makes sense and that works. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. So I think we're not, I don't think we're talking about impossibility. Uh, Right, we're We're, talking about about an improbability. improbability. Yeah, that's probably not going to happen, but it's not, we cannot say that it's impossible. And that's based on the, the pursuit of righteousness, which it says that, when we become believers, God puts his spirit in us. The spirit in us will pursue righteousness. And that the pursuit of righteousness and the celebration of sin or unrighteousness are they're at odds with each other. Right. And so celebrating sin and pursuing righteousness in the life of a believer is difficult for us to reconcile. 
However, not being God, not being sovereign, God has not given us the ability to, to see into men's hearts. So the question then, probably not just for us, but for all of us, is how will the church respond? How do we respond then to truth? How do we respond in love? And um, I think there's three levels to this, and, and I'll just address the, the first level of this from, from these three guys on your stage as your pastors. Um, I think pastorally, um, God does not give us the option uh, of picking and choosing what we want to preach. Um, he doesn't give us the option of picking and choosing what we are to proclaim as true. Um, and so our call as ministers of the gospel is to deliver to you faithfully the things that God has said in his word, whether it makes us popular or not. Um, in actuality, if you look in the scriptures, a lot of times the guys that God calls to faithfully proclaim, it doesn't always end well for those guys. Um, and, and, and so we recognize that, but we also recognize that God has given us a call and that we are ultimately responsible to him for the things that we deliver to you as truth. And at the end of the day, we will not answer to a jury of our peers, but we will answer to a righteous, holy, just God. And so for us, whereas we may not in our heart of hearts go, hey, let's really stand up here and talk about uh, the sin of homosexuality, we recognize that the Bible addresses it and God has called us to preach the Bible and that our responsibility is first and foremost to him. And so we want to do so in faith. We want to do so in grace. We want to do so in love, using the Bible as a sword that pierces to hearts, not a club to bash people's brains in. Um, but that's our first and foremost call. And so I hope, if anything, you can see that, respect that, understand that, even if you disagree with what we've said this morning. Second part of this is much more personal for us. All of the responses that we're about to lay out for how we respond as a church and how we respond individually, um, we want to exemplify that for you. We're not going to tell you to do a bunch of things and then stand back and supervise and make sure that you do them. We feel like our call is to be in the trenches, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in the places where this is a real battle with you. And we want to exemplify what it looks like to model grace and truth and love. That's our call. That's what we have undertaken as your pastors. And so I hope that you will not see this as um, three guys preaching down to you or preaching and telling you what you need to do, but three guys that are helping you see what it is that God has called us as a community of faith to do in our neighborhood, in our community, and in our context. And so I think specifically that's kind of where we stand as your pastors, but, but where should we as a church stand? Charlie, I'll ask you that question. Like how will we as a church respond? It's a good question, uh, and, and one that we've gotten lately actually, just kind of how does, how does the church respond? Uh, the church responds in acceptance and, and love of, of people who desire to be a part of, of this gathering. And so, uh, you know, at the Church of Cane Bay, we basically have three environments that we want people to be involved in. Uh, and those three environments are this Sunday morning engagement, this Sunday morning environment, our missional community environment, and our huddle, two or three people gathering around God's Word. Uh, and so, for us in this environment, we want people who are, um, who are 
walking through homosexual sin, walking through same-sex attraction, we want them to be in this room, hearing the truth of the gospel, being discipled in that way. We also um, want them to be serving. We believe that part of discipleship is serving, serving on a tech team, serving on a, serving, uh, you know, serving on a greeting team, and even holding a baby in, in, in our kids at Cane Bay. And I'll explain that a little bit, but, but, but we want them serving because we believe it's part of this journey towards God. So on Sunday mornings and in our serving teams, we want people who are struggling through this issue in their life a part of it. We want people in our missional communities, um, regardless of whether they come here on Sunday morning or not, who are walking through this as well. We want people in our huddles. Uh, you know, if you're huddling with somebody who's walking through this, I mean, what an important relationship to have uh, to really talk openly about it and, and say, this is where I struggle. This is where I need prayer. This is where you can uh, really keep me accountable. I mean, what a great environment for that, to be able to look at God's word uh, and then openly talk about struggles through life. Uh, and so we want people in those three environments because they're the most, they're, they are the environments that we produce as a church. Uh, now, what we do is we do say that according to, uh, we have partners at the Church of Cane Bay or members, uh, and these are folks who have covenanted together to be uh, the church members of the Church of Cane Bay. And what that is is they've all uh, aspired to uh, what we believe, the mission of God, and they've also signed off that they believe the same thing about about who God is, our doctrine, our doctrinal statement, and what we believe about marriage specifically. And in our doctrinal statement, it talks about how we believe that marriage is between one man and one woman for life. Uh, And so partners uh, of our church who are covenanting with us sign off that they believe that and they will teach that specific truth. Uh, And so to, um, again, to justify and celebrate homosexual sin, I'm not sure that you could in good conscience sign that statement. If you struggle with same-sex attraction but don't, but know that it's wrong, could you sign that statement? Absolutely, because you understand that. Um, and so because um, folks that um, you know, walk in homosexual sin or celebration of homosexuality uh, cannot become partners, they can also not teach in our church, which only partners teach in our church. So, um, you know, back in your kids, in our kids area and with our students, uh, people who are teaching have become covenant members of our church. So it's very possible that you might see two people in, you know, the tugboat room or something like that, both wearing the same, t- you know, both wearing the same t-shirt. One is a covenant partner who's teaching the word of God. And one, one might be somebody who's walking through this and really kind of seeking out what God would have. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of where we are corporately, but we want to be a body who speaks the truth, just like Joel said, uh, that we want to love, we want to love people and also speak the truth of God's law. So I think that just goes into the final part of how are we going to individually do this? I mean, obviously pastorally, we've kind of laid that out corporately. Here's how we're going to handle this as a church. How do we respond individually? Yeah, I, I think it's important first for us to remember where we are and who we are. And, and so I, I think it's important to kind of level the playing field to understand and realize that everyone who is in this room and everyone who is outside of these walls all around the world, that all of us have been made in the image of God. And it's important to remember that no matter what we're struggling with or who we are, like we're all made in the image of God. And secondly, that everyone who is in this room and everyone who is outside of these walls all around the world, all of us have a terminal illness of sin. And so for us to try and divide and say, well, that sin's different from the sin that I'm struggling with is wrong and it's sinful. 
And if we, for some reason, look at someone who's struggling with homosexuality or, or who is homosexual, and we say that we respond to them with bitterness and hate and we push them away from us, is spitting in the face of the fact that they are created in God's image. Mm. And that is not what God has called us to do. Jesus has over and over, we see it throughout the New Testament, we have been reminded that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And Jesus even takes that farther to say that we're to love our enemies. And so if we take it that far, then we have to know that it is our responsibility as Christians to love everybody, no matter what they're struggling with. And so a good question for us is, can we genuinely love someone who's struggling with same-sex attraction, with homosexuality, even if we have different convictions? And the answer is yes. And then if you ask that question and say, should we? genuinely love someone struggling with this, even if we have different convictions. We have to. It is what God has called us to do. And for us as Christians to try and separate ourselves from people who are dealing with this is sin in itself. And that is incredibly wrong. And it's harmful to the thing that God has called us to. We're called to love everyone. You think back on the idea uh, we, we studied uh, a month or two ago of, of the Good Samaritan looking. Um, Jesus is approached by this guy, and, and he asked Jesus this question, who is my neighbor? And if you remember about that question, he's kind of asking Jesus, well, who do I have to love? And Jesus responds with a story about the Good Samaritan who comes across someone who is the last person in the world that you would expect him to approach and to care for and to love, but he does anyways. And it turns that question upside down from who is my neighbor to how can I be a more loving neighbor? And that's where we have to fall as God's people, as a community of people. It's so important, guys, that we are seeking out to move into relationships and friendships with people who are struggling with sin all across the board. But I think culturally especially, people are struggling with this issue that we no longer try and divide ourselves, but we come to these people. We let them know that we love them. We let them know that there is a God who loves them more than they could possibly imagine and that we need to be willing to walk with everything that they're struggling with through walk through that with them, encourage them, pray for them, love them well through that situation, no matter how difficult. And so some of us have got to say, you know what, I'm willing to where maybe before I kind of just stayed away from people, like God is calling us to engage them. God is calling us to step out, to step into friendships, to have these kinds of relationships with people that aren't just even surface, but that are deep where we can encourage and love on a deep level. And I think a huge part of that is being willing to listen to people who are struggling with this. I think so often our first response when we find out that someone is struggling with this is that we just want to sit down with them and we want to tell them what God's word says. We want to speak truth. And so we just kind of launch into this tirade on them. And I think that sometimes for them, it comes across as us not really caring about them, but caring about who we are and what we believe. And we've got to stop viewing people as projects. And we've got to start viewing people as the struggles that they have and start viewing people as people who are made in the image of God that he's called us to love. And so we as a church have that responsibility. And I just want to encourage you guys kind of as we, as we close 
that if you have people in your life who are struggling with this, or if you're approached by people who are struggling with this, don't walk away from them, but be willing to engage deep into their lives and love them deeply and walk with them through their struggles so that they can see the love of God. Because what's going to happen is, as you listen to them and as they speak their struggle into your life, at some point, the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you and is going to tell you to begin to speak truth into their life. And hopefully, through what's happening, they're going to be able to get a clear picture of, of God and his love for them, that he loves them more than they could possibly imagine. So. Yeah, cool. Well, um, as, as we said at the very beginning, uh, I understand that the discussion is, is not over uh, and that there, there are probably lots of questions that we did not have an opportunity to address this morning. So let me give you an avenue uh, in order to do that. There's an email that's going to be up on the screen behind me. Uh, it's care at churchcamebad.org. If you are, man, if you have questions, if you have struggles, if you, something this morning that we said maybe didn't sit right with you and you just want further clarification, then we are totally open to wanting to have that discussion with you. And this is the best way that you can do that. Just care at the churchcamebay.org. Uh, one of the three of us will get back to you very soon to kind of have that discussion with you. Uh, so we understand that we couldn't get to everything this morning, but I hope that if you are in a position where something this morning really stirred something inside of you, then you'd reach out to us, uh, that you'd let us know that, and uh, that we would be, um, we'd be ready to have that discussion with you. Some of you are in this room this morning, and you feel like we were too hard on this topic. Uh, some of you are in the opposite camp, and you feel like we should have been harder on this subject. All of those things, all of those discussions that come afterwards, we'd love to have those with you. We can, we'll be around after service to have a discussion as well, but that's the best way for you to reach out to us. If this is your first time here this morning, uh, welcome to the Church Came Bay, and uh, we'll probably have a few extra seats available next week, so uh, that's good news for you. Um, but I understand this is uncomfortable, I understand it's awkward, but we want to be faithful to proclaim God's word even when it may not be popular and it may not be easy. So I hope you can see that, respect that, trust that. At the Church of Cane Bay, we're going to deal with things that God has told us to deal with. So I'm going to pray, uh, and then uh, we're going to uh, close out in worship this morning. Thank you guys for being here. Let me pray, and we'll, we'll move through. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for what you're uh, doing in this place. Um, God, this was a hard discussion to have. And Father, I'm grateful that your word uh, is not always easy, that it presses uh, into areas of our lives um, that are uncomfortable, and it presses into areas of our lives that sometimes we don't want uncovered. Um, but God, we trust and know that when we bring things into the light, we are able to more faithfully deal with them. And so God, I pray for um, the men and women in this room, for the men and women who are believers that struggle with same-sex attraction and have felt, God, for years just this uh, incredible amount of shame and guilt, and they don't know what to do with that. Father, I pray that this morning you would encourage them through your Holy Spirit, uh, God, that they are not alone in their struggle and that the cross is not insufficient for their sin and Father, I pray that they would have a community, that they would confess this week to someone that they trust, that they love, that they know. God, and the community of faith would come around those who are struggling with temptation in our midst. God, and that reconciliation would happen, that you would be glorified, that we would find joy in walking towards righteousness together. 
God, I pray that as a church, we would be a church that models grace and truth. We would not use your word as a platform to further our own agendas. We would not use your word as a bat, a baseball bat to club people over the head with and say, this is right. But God, that we would hold your word as objective and it's true. God, that we would love people in such a way that they would come to see you as glorious, as loving, as good, and that the plan, design, purposes you have for their life are right. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.